Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time it is that you Inky Savages are joining us for episode number 170 of the Penboy Roy Pentertainment Podcast. Today we have an excellent episode for you. I am super excited because my good friend Tom, the Mr. Odd Oink, has set up an awesome guest today. So the guest today is going to be a Mr. Ben Walsh, and we're really excited to talk to him but before we get started with that, I just want to give you guys our sponsorship reads for this week. And obviously, don't forget to check out Goldspot Pens using the affiliate link in the description below. And use coupon code LUCY, as in I love Lucy, as in Lucy the movie with Scarlett Johansson. Or, more importantly, Lucy, as in the odd oinks dog. Check out the affiliate link in the description below. Use coupon code LUCY for an additional savings on all products on the Goldspot Pens website with some exclusions applying. I always have to say that because some brands are just a little bit too snobby to allow discounts. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I know it's a way of protecting their brand, yada, yada, yada. But I like to make fun of them, as I do with everything. And, of course, we have to talk about our other sponsor. This one's kind of cool, even though it's not a fountain pen. We're going to talk about the new limited edition Rainforest Retro 51 by Luxury Brands. It's an exclusive tornado rollerball pen with animals of the rainforest wrapping around the pen and a tree frog perched on the finial. This Retro 51 is sure to be one of a kind. <laughs> if, I, if I could count the number, of, <laughs> the number of times one of these reads say one of a kind. <laughs> one of a kind. There are so many one of a kinds out there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, no, but this one, <laughs> this one truly is one of a kind. No, but really, when it, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. We include, we include all the uh, the hilarity. He's just <laughs> something. Something just got you on the uh, the giggles right there. All right, now mm -hmm. this retro fifty one is really, really one of a kind. Not like I mean, the one other, of a kind. <laughs> what other Retro 51 uh, generates portions of the proceeds to then donate to the uh, Rainforest Trust? That is true. To protect true. endangered animals. So, right. I mean, there is really no... Uh, are there any other Retro 51s you could say that does that? So No, it is absolutely not. So this, this is... This is one of a kind. Unlike the many other one of a kinds that existed before it, this one is one of a kind. No, but in all, all seriousness, it is a very cute pen. It's got little leaves and animals of the rainforest all over it. It's got a cute little tree frog on the finial. They're limited to 500 individually numbered pieces worldwide, and you can only purchase them directly at luxurybrandsusa.com slash product slash retro 51. So we're just going the description of the podcast and there'll be a link there for you. Right. So, so or just yeah. go in the description of the podcast, whether it be YouTube or the description of whatever it is that you're using to watch this this is a one-of-a-kind podcast right this this certainly is one yes. of a kind of a one-of-a-kind podcast but mm -hmm. i i do want to read that one more time it has animals of the rainforest wrapping around the pen and a tree frog perched on the finial it's really cute i actually tried to call bryce because you know i'm an animal lover to have him send me one but i think mm -hmm. he knew what i was doing so he ghosted me <laughs> this is an important line here and this i think is what makes it one of a kind a portion of the proceeds from the purchase of this pen will be donated to the rainforest trust to help protect endangered animals and landscapes around the world. Now, I'm down for that because I like protecting animals and environments and stuff like that, especially 
frogs and birds and rainforests. And I like one of the kind like pens as well. So and I like one of the kind pens. I also look at I love the matte gold finishes that this has. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice, nice looking pen. And the tree frog. The tree frog on the finial looks really cute too. I think the tree frog is an adorable frog. I don't think bullfrogs are adorable. I've seen on TikTok and Instagram reels where like they people have pet bullfrogs and then they feed them like mice and I'm like, I can't watch this. Why are they putting this up? But just so everybody knows, the Retro 51 Rainforest exclusive by Luxury Bands of America, they don't feed any mice to any frogs of any kind. So no, not whatsoever. I would like... Everybody to check it out, again, at Luxury Brands of America. The link will be in the description below. Now, that's it for sponsorship reads. I really screwed that one up. If no, I had any it, sense, it I would... It was for, It was a one-of-a-kind sponsorship read. <laughs> right. It was a one-of-a-kind sponsorship. So what we're going to do now is we're going to get started with this week's episode. It's a one-of-a-kind episode. But before we get started, I want to give you guys a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not scripted and therefore will contain potty mouth words, both from Tom and I. Mostly from me. Maybe from Ben Walsh. Who knows? But be forewarned, you have been warned. Now, on to the podcast. The Pet Boy Roy Entertainment Podcast. All right, so today we have our good friend Ben Walsh. I don't know much about Ben Walsh except that we're followers of each other on Instagram. He's all the way across the seas in Ireland. Is that correct, Ben? Yep. Yep, cool. So we have Ben Walsh. We're really excited. Tom, Mr. Odd Oink, thanks for setting this up. And so wait. Ben, you were mentioning before in the green room that you were a semi-pro boxer. Tell me about that. Yeah, so that. I used to box for, uh, I think it was uh, 11 when I started. Mm. And yeah, I boxed all the way up until I was 18. What made you stop? And, uh, <laughs> I, got, I got banned for six months. For, really? Yeah, yeah. I got into a, a, a row outside of the club. And oh. I boxed, and um, it's a no-no. So, wait. So, what does that mean? You got into a round outside the club. You got you. Um, you got into a street fight. No, no, it wasn't a street fight. I was in school, and uh, a bully who had been giving me trouble for a while. He pushed me. I pushed him back. He hit me, cut me open. I lost it and boxed. And you can't really do that. Um, uh, you know, without gloves on, it's dangerous, and that's why. So I, I, I got in trouble. I got, I got arrested, like, and uh, arrested. But yeah, yeah. Mm. So, how old were you when this happened? I think it was. Uh, so I was seventeen. So I wasn't eighteen. So I was seventeen. Yeah, because no, I was eighteen actually. Yeah, I was. I was yeah, I was eighteen. I was. I was an adult. Yeah. Mm. So that, so there was a bully at your school when you were 18 years old. He started a fight with you, and then you're saying you boxed. Like when when you say you boxed, does that mean you arranged for him to be in the ring with you, and you, or it just happened right on the spot? Right on the spot, um, like as in, uh, I didn't uh, hold back. Basically, mm. I really hurt him, and I'm not, I shouldn't have done what I did. Like mm. to this day, I'm highly embarrassed about doing what I did so yeah and you're not allowed to do that you, you get in trouble like it's, it's completely frowned upon like I uh, you know if I hit somebody in the in the temple with a punch without padding it's devastating 
mm-hmm. to me, my hands, but also to them. Like uh, it was, it was stupid. So, um, can I say two things? Two things here. Yeah. Yeah. You said that sounds a lot like a street fight. You said it wasn't a street fight. It sounds to me like it was because it happened outside the ring. A guy yeah. came up to you, and which leads into my second thing. That sounds a lot like self-defense. Person punches you, splits you open, and then you beat the snot out of him. So, where does the the boxing club have the right to come in and tell you that you can't defend yourself? It was the rules. It's the rules. You know, it's you're you're trained to do something uh, with padded you know hands, and if you use it outside of the the club, you know it doesn't matter. That's the rules. They don't care. Uh, oh wow. So, <clears throat> so the guy um we're kind of we're friends now actually, funny enough. But you know, he was really hurt. You know, um I was I had a little cut. He was because I did what I did, he was severely hurt. And it, it's just terrible what I did. Really. And that's why I got my six month ban and then I started college and you know, the training and, you know, it's intense, it's a lot of time, and I didn't have the time to go back. So once I, basically, my band was up, I decided just not to go back. And I didn't really love it either, you know. I did it because most people just did something like that. I only did boxing because my my grandfather actually convinced me that I needed to do it because I was actually getting bullied, and I needed to learn how to defend myself. And that's why I started boxing, and I did it, and... It was a great way to, um, you know, vent because, you know, I was probably an angry little teenager and it was just a good way for me to offload and then uh, I continued doing it because I enjoyed the offloading and the, the training more than actually competing. Mm, wasn't really, I see. Yeah, I used to scare the life out of me competing. I used to get so scared. But the, the training and the sparring, it's... It's just fun to me. Mm. That's, what I, that's what I actually loved about it, the training. Right. Well, I'm going to be totally honest with you. <clears throat> I'm glad that you guys are friends now. Oftentimes it does happen. You beat the snot out of somebody. You guys develop mutual respect for each other, and then you become friends. But I'm sorry that the boxing club banned you for six months for defending yourself. But on that front... I'm glad you defended yourself. Someone puts hands on you and splits you open. You got to do what you got to do. And I, you know, I don't think that was stupid. I think it was just, it's a fact of life. You can't let somebody put hands on you. You got to do something about it. Yeah, but there's a, you know, I've got certain abilities that can really, really hurt somebody and Mm -hmm. can kill you. It can kill you. Mm -hmm. And that's the point. You can kill somebody. I, if, if you were to, I don't know what you're trained in, but if you were to do a full force kick to someone's head, you're going to kill them. You know, you could kill mm-hmm. them. I have, you know, if, if I'm wearing gloves, the chances of me killing somebody is greatly reduced. But mm. you know, because of the way you're trained to punch through somebody, you, you still do it without the padding, and that's mm-hmm. devastating. What do you think of this? Do you follow fight sports at all? Uh, yeah, kind of like I keep up to up to speed with it, like MMA and uh, 
Yeah. What do you think of this BKFC that's out now? It's called Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships, where it's pretty much MMA, but bare knuckle. Someone's going to die soon. You think so? Yeah. And even the, the slam <clears throat> contest that... The, yeah, that's silly. Yeah, right. Someone's going to die. Yeah, some, that's, you know, there's been boxers that have died from their neck getting torn from a, mm. just, just the, the most powerful hit. And these guys mm. are trying to do the most powerful hit, so it's going to cause an artery to rupture in someone's neck or a brain injury that mm -hmm. it's not it's not now it's what's going to happen in 10 years when these guys are 100 percent know severely brain damaged yeah definitely agree with you also with the bare knuckle fighting championships i've seen guys in the ufc fight there and they don't take punches the same way right so like for example i've seen luke rockhold fight in bkfc where he eats a jab, and the reaction is completely different than if he ate a jab in the UFC, where they're wearing four-ounce gloves, and there's a little bit of padding and stuff. So, yeah, as much as I love MMA, I'm definitely not about the slap contest thing. That doesn't make sense to me. And I'm definitely not about the bare-knuckle fighting. I just feel like it's just too dangerous. Yeah, but it's actually, um, in Ireland, it's a cultural thing in the traveler community to bare-knuckle fight. And they mm -hmm. do it to settle arguments and they'll actually arrange, you know, come together and they'll come with rules and uh, judges and they'll actually do huge bets like 200 grand and uh, mm -hmm. bare knuckle and they, they could be bare knuckle fighting for an hour. Uh, Jeez. Yeah, I've seen it. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, and Great cardio. Yeah, like <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be surprised what, what it what goes on with the, the bare knuckle fighting in the, the travel community. It's actually amazing. A, a mm. lot of really like talented boxers in Ireland um, have gone into the bare knuckle fighting game afterwards. Just, just so professional boxers doing mm. bare knuckle boxing. Insane. Mm. And the videos, there's videos. If you look up like Irish traveler bare knuckle boxing, you'll be horrified. Hmm. So I guess those boxers, I guess once they finish boxing and go into the bare knuckle fighting arena, they're never allowed to come back to boxing based on what you're telling me about what the rules are when it comes to boxing, what you're allowed to do, not allowed to do. Yeah, I don't know what the, the rules are for professional uh, boxing. It's club rules. It's just, it was just my club rules. Oh, I see. Okay, so it was isolated it's to not, just your club. Like, yeah, yeah, it's just the club rules, you know. It's, um, you know, you got to respect the sport. And not mm -hmm. use it um, like that. That's that's mm -hmm. the whole idea. Uh, I I I have been in fights uh, outside of uh, like boxing where I have used boxing, but I had to you know I had to defend myself. But this particular situation, um, you know, it was all caught on camera. It was CCTV um, because it was such a serious thing. The authorities had to get involved, uh, and then when the authorities get involved, word gets out, and several of the teachers were friends with some of the trainers in the boxing club, and they told mm. us the story of what happened, and, you know, the truth came out, and that was it, you know? Mm. I see. So how do you go from how do you go from that to Fountain? First of all, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm um, 31. I think. 31. You're so yeah, young. I remember I'm... when I was in my 30s. 
Yeah, thirty-one. I just want to touch your cheeks. Yeah. So how how did you how did you get into fountain pens? How old were you when you got into fountain pens? I'm gonna say twenty-five. Okay. Twenty-four, twenty-five. Um, I used to do a lot of um traveling for my job, so I was a designer. I was a kitchen designer. Okay. And I got to travel to Germany quite a lot. Hmm. Um, and uh, I'd stop off in the stationery shops in different airports and I'd get myself like a, a pen just to, you know, I went to Dusseldorf. I'm going to remember this time. So I'd get myself a pen and every time I traveled somewhere new, I'd get myself a pen. Um, and that's pretty much where it started, where I started buying my own pens for myself, for my own collection. I, was, I wasn't even making fountain pens. This is just me buying fountain pens. Um, the first fountain pen I bought was Lamy Safari um, Clear Demonstrator um, in Dusseldorf Airport. Mm. And then the second one was uh, a Caveco Sport in Copenhagen in Denmark. And then I've got pens that I bought in different places I've traveled to for work. And that's, so I've got, they're just simple pens, but they, they're memories for me. Mm -hmm. That's a, you know, as a matter of fact, they're starter fountain pens for a huge majority of fountain pen enthusiasts. So you were 24 at the time. You're, th you said you're 31 now. Yeah. Okay. So how old were you when you just decided to go into fountain pens as a living? Uh, as a living, uh, it, it, three years ago now, I, I didn't mm. decide. It just happened. You see, this is the thing. Uh, I didn't decide. I I just kind of like fell into this. Mm. Uh, at the How time, so? So I was always doing. So I made concrete ballpoint pens uh, on my as a side hustle. I had a a little business where I just made these concrete pens. But I always worked as a designer for different companies. So I was a kitchen designer. That's actually what I was for a few years. So I'm a, I'm a trained interiors and furniture designer, and I'm also a cabinet maker. So I can, and I'm also a fine artist. So I have a fine art degree and a design degree. So um, yeah, I just kind of, yeah. Um, by making these ballpoint pens, um, kind of uh, decided at a certain point that I wanted to up my game. I think, mm -hmm. I think it was... I'm going to say six years ago or seven years ago when I actually decided because I do have an email with, uh, do you know Dries from the Pencil Case blog? No, yes. I don't. Yes, yeah. So, so I knew that uh, his blog was one of the most, uh, you know, it's one of the biggest blogs for Phantom Pens and I, I, I started to read it. And at the time I was like, all right, I'm going to up my game here. I'm going to try making it. You know, something more difficult than a ballpoint pen. I'm going to try and make a machine fountain pen. So I emailed him, basically asked for his help, because I hadn't a clue. I didn't know mm -hmm. anything. So I was like, where do I get nibs? What, what type of nibs? Uh, Does this design look cool to you? And he was like, no, it actually looks terrible. And so <laughs> on. And so, uh, yeah, so it was six years ago when I kind of like started thinking about it and started working on it. Six, seven years ago. Yeah. I think it's exactly seven years ago in November. Because I can wow. So, email. so you started buying pens when you were 24, which puts us at seven years ago. And then shortly after, you start making ballpoint pens? Um, so I, I made the ballpoint pens before 
the Benjamins. Uh, oh, okay. So I have my timeline. I have my timelines off. I think. I'm gonna. It I might be just. I might be six years mm -hmm. instead of seven years because there's a year of making ballpoint pens before I decided to go into the mm. events and definitely seven years ago I get mm -hmm. I get memories coming up on my phone let it be you know that seven years ago today you mm -hmm. posted this picture so it's definitely seven year, years ago that I did the concrete ballpoint pens but mm -hmm. it's yeah there's a there's a story behind how I got into the ballpoint pens and then there's a story about how I tried to get into the machine metal fountain pens and uh, yeah there's so many stories about how things happened and if we go down them rabbit holes, it'll be one one hour of me just talking about those stories. Well, I think that Roy would agree with me in that we're interested just about the fountain pens. <laughs> right. So let, yeah. let's hear the let's hear the story about how you got into machined fountain pens. So when I decided to uh, to make the ballpoint pens, I was buying them in such huge. I was buying kits, the standard like kits that you'd make if you were turning pens. But I was buying them in such volumes that that I was able to ask the company uh, in Taiwan could they actually custom make certain parts for me because I needed it done in a certain way to work better with the concrete, and um, they said yeah, but there there was a minimum order quantity, and then I was able to figure out that I could specify how to make metal components, and actually I knew how to do it from my design. Um, knowledge and then I started to snowball into oh I'm going to make a machine pen, pen. that's the hardest thing to do so I mm. did and it, it was so bad at the beginning I prototyped and prototyped and prototyped um, I went through six manufacturers trying to get the pen looking how I wanted it to look mm. it took me yeah it took me the good of three years just to get a fountain pen to work so That's I interesting. a lot of times a lot well, of times takes that all right i gotta take a pee break we'll come right back all right again yeah yeah holy shit sorry <laughs> i drink lots this of guy so we're back all right so pee break over you know what what i'm really interested in to know uh, knowing about is your perspective on entering the fountain pen making world and the fountain pen world because you're relatively young yeah. you got into fountain pens and what based on the timeline you're you're telling us it seems like you got into the involvement of producing and designing and making fountain pens relatively quickly after you got into fountain pens was there any kind of difficulty that you had to experience or you may have experienced because of your lack of experience in the fountain pen industry with regard yeah. to people saying, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're doing, this, that, and the other thing. No, it was more that um, I didn't know how to get myself out there. So, And also the funding, it's very, very expensive to mm -hmm. start. Um, to prototype after prototype, it's expensive. Um, and to get pens made in the quantities needed, um, I needed to raise funds. So I actually did a Kickstarter campaign. Mm -hmm. And I failed. <laughs> really bad. Uh, I had a I had a good concept. I felt I had a good concept, uh, but the the fountain pen community just weren't as interested in it 
and um, so I didn't get enough backers, so the project wasn't viable. Uh, but I didn't give up, and I decided I'm still going I'm to do this anyway. So I actually used nearly all my savings um, to make my first batch of fountain pens. Um, and anybody that backed me on Kickstarter, um, I gave them a discount code to give them the original Kickstarter price to say thank you, because originally they were going to support me. And um, yeah, so I, I guess it was the kindness of the people that originally supported me on uh, Kickstarter that allowed me, because they did a lot of posting on my, my pens, people posted them. Um, reviewers started to pick me up. Um, the guy in the UK called Anthony Newman, um, UK fan pens. UK fan pens, yeah. He, he reviewed my pen um, and he gave me the first, you know, huge platform and I sold all my stock within mm. a, a few weeks and that meant I could uh, buy more pens mm. and I could keep going, I could keep building and investing and going and going and going and going and uh, yeah, that's how it snowballs. Uh, but I was accepted, well I wasn't accepted in the Kickstarter community, but mm. I was accepted in the Fountain Pen community. Um, thankfully, and um, I'm still growing. Like I, did, I, I grow. The, the company grows a lot. Like it, it, I. That's where one of my problems is. I try to forecast how much I'm growing. I get it wrong. I grow mm -hmm. more than I expected. I keep mm -hmm. getting it wrong, and so that's one of my problems. Well, that's, that's a good, a good thing. problem to have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but when you grow and you're not ready. It's a problem. <laughs> yeah. If you're, you don't have the, the logistics set up, if you don't have enough people there. Um, so I basically used to do it all by myself. And it got to the point where I couldn't do it by myself anymore. So I had to take on employees. I had to get help in. had to admit that I'm not superhuman. And had to admit that, yep, yeah, I definitely am not the best at doing certain things. And I will take certain people on board to help with the things that I'm not good at. So, um, say, logistics or communications or what am I not good at? A lot of things. So, there's a lot of things I'm not good at and I mm -hmm. admit that and I get the help. And mm -hmm. By getting the help, that's why I've been able to grow as fast as I've been able to grow. Right. Um, but the problem is I grow too fast then. I don't have enough employees. And it's really mm -hmm. hard to get employees. So, like... I need a, a, a specialist or somebody that understands and knows fountain pens and respects the pen and respects mm -hmm. the community. And in Ireland, maybe three people <laughs> in the whole country. Yeah, so. that's, that's also the, the case I find here in the United States too, is that you tell somebody, oh, I work for a pen company. And you're like, they still make pens? It's It's completely foreign to most people. Whereas like, you know, if you're just looking for somebody to help you with, let's say, shipping and fulfillment, it, oh, I work for an e-commerce company, that most people, I think, could wrap their mind around. But if it's something specific where you're like, well, I need help with tuning and testing nibs and assembling feeds and stuff, or like, wait, what? what is this? Like, how is it supposed to work? You know, like, it, it requires a lot of, I, I feel like that there's a bigger learning curve that not everybody is uh you know exposed to so it's like completely foreign right well i mean i think it has a... go ahead i'm sorry ben 
So that's actually something that I've um, taken advantage of because, like you said, sometimes it's very hard to find certain people that are good at certain things in this industry. Um, and I, I'm relentless and I keep going and I experiment and research and develop like crazy. And there's a lot of companies out there that don't have an in-house person that knows how to design or knows what would happen if you do this or what happens if you can combine these two things together. And the word got out um, that I can design, that I can solve problems, um, that I'm a little bit creative, uh, and that's my, my side thing. I have a side hustle to, to Gravitas, where I work for other companies, designing, um, developing, uh, manufacturing. I, I actually do more in that than Gravitas, a lot more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and from from doing that and developing for so many other people, um, I've developed uh, a lot of intellectual property that I now own. And that intellectual property that I own, I now, you know, I lease or I, I license out for royalties. And that's actually where I'm so it's like so an big, stream. I suppose. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to... I don't think it's... Yeah, because I don't take anything out of Gravitas. There's no salary. I don't take a salary mm -hmm. at all. Is there is, were there any examples that you might be able to share that wouldn't like breach a non-disclosure agreement of, of certain examples of, of these uh, things that you've done? Yeah, so like um, I guess the only one that I can really talk about is I'm working on a well. The pen is it's already done, but it's for MCY um, uh, of Tokyo Station Pens. So CY came to me um, two years ago with the idea of um, making a new style pen, like the Conan, but different, but does a big fill. You know, we want to do something like that. And um, so I said, all right, let's do it. Um, and there's a whole two-year story of, uh, you know, product development, failures, uh, more failures, <laughs> more failures and then we finally cracked it and uh, we finally nice. figured it out and uh, yeah I'd actually have to say uh, a big shout out to CY because sometimes I need people to come to me with an idea and then that gives me the push to go figure out right, how do I solve this problem mm -hmm. uh, and now my biggest thing is solving problems that uh, are there you know there's a there's a design philosophy um so it's desirability, feasibility, viability. So um, I, I follow that philosophy. So you figure out if it's desirable. So you need, you need to know, is, is this wanted in the community? So you might see me post a lot of stuff, and I get a reaction. If it's a mm -hmm. good one, or if it's a bad one, then I know if it's desirable or not. So if I know if something's desirable, then I figure out, right, is it feasible to make this? Mm -hmm. How how do you make it? How can I feasibly make this? So then I'll go figure out how to make it, and can it be done? And then the viability is can it be done at a, a price that's affordable? Right. And um, so the desirability, feasibility, viability, philosophy is how I've been able to do it so quickly and so fast, because mm -hmm. I ask people, I ask everybody, what do you want? And everybody tells me what they want. Where's your biggest mm -hmm. problem? 
you know. To, to find out what's desirable, you need to find out, all right, where's the problem? What, what's, what's upsetting you? What do you not like? All right, I'll fix that. Right. And then if and I see fix... that I see that play out a lot on Instagram, right? Is that pretty much mm -hmm. the primary forum where you have these interactions where you post diagrams or 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 let's say early samples of a pen yeah. design that you were working on and then you get feedback on and then you go and work on a new version or you scrap it and, and do something different. That's usually where it plays out on your is it usually on your Gravitas Pens Instagram or is it mostly on your Ben Walsh? Uh, yeah, Instagram it's the Ben Walsh. It's yeah, the so Ben, ben Walsh, Walsh is what's going on inside my head, and Gravitas <laughs> is just it's uh, the finished it's product. Public, yeah, Gravitas public is just people think it's the customer service uh, page. It's just, uh -huh. just Gravitas, just to say, hey, look, new product. But no, that's I have a customer service email, just so people know. Email me on that if you have a problem. What's that email? It's at uh, customer services at gravitaspens.com. Okay. Uh, I get so many private messages on um, my Instagrams. They're, they're my private Instagram as well. I know it's public um, and I share so much of it what I'm doing and people do message me. I don't mind so yeah. much, but sometimes... It's well, it's just that there's so many inboxes nowadays. You have your social media has got every platform except for Threads now. Threads does not have DMs, um, but the uh, Instagram has got DMs. You get direct messages on every place and then yeah like you said it just you're you may be checking that periodically or when you're posting something on social media you're responding to comments on your post but you're not even thinking oh sh i should just go to my dms to see if there's anybody that needs something related to customer service so it usually yeah. it may end up not being responded to for a while and then you're like oh well there i have a whole bunch of these dms that are here yeah so that happens to me i yeah i just I got a uh, like everything's muted, I don't get notifications. No, seriously. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I I only get notifications for my customer service email. That is it. And my nana, and my sister. <laughs> they can like they can contact me uh, when when they need to contact me, mm. and um, that's it. You know, I, I try to keep everything separated, but it doesn't separate. But that but that's that's a bit of a tangent there. But yeah, I use. Yeah, I, I have a question for you. Yeah. Gravitas, you're the only owner of Gravitas. Mm -hmm. Okay, when did Gravitas establish? Um, incorporated. It was only incorporated um, a year ago, actually. Okay, but so, it existed before that, correct? Yeah, so it existed as a as a. It, I was a sole trader, so in Ireland, it's called being a sole trader. Um, it didn't make sense to start a company because. I wasn't making enough money to justify starting a company. But when you make a certain amount or you need to do certain things or you need certain protections or whatever, you need to start a company. So that's mm -hmm. uh, at a certain point. Um, I did have to incorporate it as a limited liability company. Mm. Uh, Is Does Gravitas have a meaning to the word? I'm being a little ignorant right now. It just To me, it sounds like a cool word for gravity. Yeah, yeah. I don't know so, if it does mean anything. Yeah, it, it's a it's a deep meaningful word in um, so it's a, it's a virtue. So it's mm -hmm. actually more about um, how a person is or how a person has gravitas. And a person with gravitas is somebody that um, the best way I have ex of explaining it is they walk into a room and it doesn't matter 
It's just how they walk in, it's how they're dressed, it's how they speak, it's how their mannerisms are. They just captivate you, and it could be a man, woman, it doesn't matter, and they're just like, wow, that, that, that person speaks so well. They've got gravitas, it's, that's what it is. And it's, a, oh. it's, a, it's kind of, um, I don't know if there's ever been someone that has just, you, you, you walk into a room and it doesn't matter, you're just like, damn, he's cool looking, or damn, that's impressive, or the way they speak. It could be their voice. It could be how they look. It could be how they're, they're dressed. It could be their style. It could be any of these number of things. It can be how they can, they can look so normal, but when they speak, they're so inter interesting, and you, you just want to listen to them. That person has gravitas. Ah. That's, where I got it. that's where I got it from. I think it's fair to say you pretty much described me in a nutshell. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, so you, you established this brand, Gravitas, and yeah. I noticed that what Tom was saying, everything that you do it lives on Instagram when it comes to designs and present presenting designs to the public. You do a lot of 3D imaging, right? Yeah, yeah, rendering, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you actually, so you have computer skills, obviously, so you design something on a computer and you show them what it would look like if you went ahead with it, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. But I also, How I also like 3D prototype. You just don't mm. see it, but I do it. Mm. You mean 3D printing? 3D printing, or I might actually get a prototype made. You might not see it because it was terrible or it didn't work. Mm. But yeah, that happens. There's a lot of that. Yeah. You, don't see. you see, there's there's 10%. You see 10%. Okay. Because what, what I noticed was that what made me think that Gravitas and Ben Walsh were so interesting is that you don't often see computer renderings of pen concepts. You usually just scroll along Instagrams and then you see these brands, many brands, that just release a pen. You don't see yeah. it at its birth stage. So what I find very interesting is that you actually show people the concept before it's actually made. And I think that's very unique and different in the fountain pen community. For example, every time a fucking pen gets released by a brand, there's all this secrecy about it, right? There's always like, well, we're not going to tell you about it until this day. And retailers are not allowed to talk about it, not allowed to show pictures of it until it's released all at once. However, you, on the other hand, like you said before in the greens, green room, you're extremely transparent with everything. You want people to know. You want people to just know what's going on in your head. You want those designs to come out and everything like that. Where do you get these ideas for your designs? Because they're very modern. I like them. They're very modern. They're very unique. And the fact that they're very modern and unique goes back to what I was saying is you're sharing them before they're actually a reality. Where do you get these designs, and do you feel that there's a risk in sharing these designs before they're even made? Um, so there's there's two way there's two ways that I do it. So you actually will see a version that works but isn't the real version, right? So I mm. I might show a concept, but that's the concept, but I have the real finished prototype version. All done. When I do a quick concept of how a mechanism or how a design works, I do it in 40 minutes. It's just basic stuff. How, how long it has to be, uh, how much volume it needs, um, how much tolerance it needs here and there and threads. I figure out all the 
the really intricate stuff afterwards in a different design. I have a I have base models. You know, I have a uh, I have a basic pen that I've already designed, and I I know that the internal size is you know a specific size, so I know what I, how long and all the mechanisms or different things have to be, or how much space I need to leave in the cap for the nib, or if I'm doing the number eight nib versus the number six nib. I have it all generically designed. I'll, I'll, I'll show you. I'll actually, I've no problem showing people how I do it because it's very, very simple. I have a, you know, I have a basic setup that I draw around all the time. And it's, you, you got to think of it, right? Uh, every pen has a nib. It has to have a nib. So you build around a nib and it has to have a filling system. So it's going to be a cartridge converter. Or for a pocket pen, it's just going to be a cartridge. Or if it's something else, then it's going to be a different mechanism. So then you build a mechanism, then you build a pen around it. That's mm -hmm. how you do it. That's how I do it. Mm -hmm. So I don't. Um, I kind of like start from the inside and work out. Mm -hmm. And that's how I've always done it. But sometimes uh, I just have an idea, and I just uh, it's it's a basic principle that I just need to figure out. I can uh, quickly design it up and model it, but I'm also able to do simulations. Uh, you know, physics simulations. I have no idea about physics, but I know how to make the simulation thing do it, the thing <laughs> on the thing. So, like, what, what are you talking that. about? Physics simulations. What, what do you mean? So, say for example, I need to know if a nib, is, right? So, I, I developed a nib or worked on a development of a nib for a long time and I needed I needed to know um, what what could this nib do if I put a certain amount of pressure on it based on the the mechanical properties that this material had so say if we're using titanium titanium has a certain tensile strength elasticity and I have all the, the information that I can put in and then I can put certain pressure points which is going to be the tipping, and then fixture points, and then I can put, say, a pound of force pushing down, what will happen to that nib? And I can simulate what will happen to that nib before I even make it, so I know if it's going to work or if it won't work. And um, if I was to, so uh, I'll tell you something, nobody knows about this one, but it's something that I'm working on. I developed a new mechanism and how this mechanism works, it's vacuum, but it's not like any kind of vacuum mechanism you've ever seen before. The problem is, um, in the simulation, it worked, but there is a problem that I'm not sure if the forces involved are something that can be handled with materials that I have available to me, and do I need to do certain things. So. I use a simulation, and the simulation basically says, yes, this, this will work. But also, um, I have to figure out worst-case scenario. What if certain thing doesn't work and it gets stuck? If you push, if you, if you push the, the, the vacuumatic pen down before it breaks and you let go really quickly, it shoots back up, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've created a vac system that is so good or has such strong, so it's nearly, it's, it's very, very hard to get 100% vacuum, but you can get close to it. 
on most back pans is maybe 80%. So there's a little bit of a loss of force. But I've made one that's 99.5% vacuum. So when you push the rod down, and if it doesn't do what it's meant to do at the right time, and you let go, that rod shoots back up very fast. Mm -hmm. Very, very fast. And my pens have a tapered point. And when that goes back up at genuinely the speed, I don't even know, it's several hundred miles an hour. When something hits something at 700 miles an hour like this, what happens? Boom. In a standard back pen, it's not an issue because there isn't a true vacuum. So at a certain point, it just cushions and stops. Mine is a true vacuum, and the momentum of it going back up is so f much that when the metal hits metal, the acrylic will not handle it mm. at all. It will, there's just there's no way it can handle it. And then there's another problem that when this system does its thing, I can't go into too much detail because it's in development. When this system does its thing, when air is moving in to a vacuum, it moves in very, very quickly. So the initial stage of air moving in is several hundred miles an hour. I mean, like, it's in the it's supersonic speeds. So that air is making something move at a supersonic speed. Very small movement, but it still moves at supersonic speed. And I need to figure out what, what will happen. So How do you know that? How do you know that? Like, how do you know how fast that stuff is moving? Because I don't know. So I asked a physicist that I know. Right. I did this, and I'm so the so I know what the basic principles of like physics. But mm. I went and asked uh, some experts because when I don't know something, I'll find out who does mm. know something, and I'll ask them. I have a question. How often? So you have these simulations. You do these simulations when you're making your pens. How often, and if if at all have you checked, do the simulations match what happens in reality? Or is there a disconnect between the simulation and what happens in reality? Uh, yeah, I would say there is a disconnect because there's always, like in a perfect situation, a pen isn't perfect, you've always mm -hmm. got failure points when it comes to a thread and there's always a weakness and um, the perfect mechanical properties of the material, what it's supposed to be, Mm -hmm. In reality, is it the exact same? So, say you're using grade five titanium. Are you are you actually getting grade five titanium? Mm -hmm. So there's 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 different uh, mechanical properties of titanium based on if it's been work hardened. So you can't really there is a disconnect. You can't mm -hmm. rely on it. So you do okay. have to prototype it. So so it's really just to give you an idea. Yeah, like the basic idea is that I I need to figure out if it will do what it's meant to do, mm -hmm. and uh, then. If it does, I have to figure out how, how do I make it safe? Because this thing could kill you. This pen right. could kill you. I made a weapon. I made a cannon. So that'll be, that would actually be genuinely and truly one of a kind if you made a pen that could actually kill somebody. <laughs> Yeah, right. So what, so what I'm imagining is is that is that this this vacuum filling system and this is one of your pens that I'm holding yeah. here for the people that can actually watch it on YouTube. Um, the so the the mechanism that you're saying is that when you're push, pushing down on the plunger yeah. with it like this, if you let go, it there's such a force that's there that the the plunger shoots back up and then could possibly just break right out of the the back end of the pen. 
because it yeah. wouldn't be able to handle the the amount of force that's happening there. And then yeah. at the same time, when you're dipping it into a bottle of ink, and then you press it down and you actually activate it and let it go, that when it fills up, it could almost sound like you're in one of those those restrooms with the the tornado toilet where it just like goes <laughs> and it's just like the it, it yeah. could it could suck up the ink into the pen at such a force that would just boggle the mind because it's going at a supersonic pace. Yeah, well, the the, the liquid can't go supersonic. I don't think no. Maybe it can, but um, we're 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 talking about such tiny forces. It's not really uh, an issue. But when we scale it up, it could be an issue. But still, the forces are there, and. Um, the, the physicists say that yeah, this will work. Mm -hmm. Cool. May I make a suggestion, Ben? Yes. Once you do fix this prototype with the vacuum, being that there's so much like supersonic speeds and stuff, you know what you should name the pen? The Boom Sonic. No, the Mantis. And I'll tell you why. Because there's a shrimp out there called the Mantis Shrimp. Have you heard of this? Tom put me yeah, yeah. on to this. Yes. It like. This mantis shrimp fucking throws a punch that's so fast, it creates like a vacuum in the water and creates like supersonic speeds that it heats up the water to like boiling temperature around its punch because it right. goes that quickly. They say it gets to the temperature of the sun because it heats up the water so quickly, but it just it's in such a flash. And then I googled this mantis shrimp, and there are guys out there who had mantis shrimp in tanks, and then like the next morning, the glass of the tank Spicy is exploding. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I say call it the Mantis pen, the Mantis fountain pen. Yeah. I don't think you like the idea. <laughs> He's like, um, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, right, this thing goes supersonic, and it might make mm. a supersonic boom. The supersonic mm. pen. That'd be amazing. Mm. Supersonic. I I but I, I would say that if, it, if there is a risk that someone can blow their head off with this pen, you probably shouldn't put it out there just yet. Yeah, so that's why I'm going to prototype it and um, figure out what needs to be done to make it safe. So mm -hmm. um, the way I've designed it, so the way standard back pens work at the moment, um, we're limited to the, the, the grommet that we use. So the mm -hmm. grommet comes in a certain size and that's what we're limited to. Mm -hmm. What I've done is it can be any size you want, so you're not mm -hmm. limited. You don't have to design it a certain way. And also, the way the, the grommet works, um, how it actuates, you lose a bit of um, space and air. Yeah, so you don't get as much uh, of a fill. Uh, so I tried to figure out what's, what's the most I could possibly get from this and how could we possibly do this. Mm. Um, and so that kind of leads into, like I, I look at other industries. Mm. How the hell do they do it elsewhere? Do you, do you have a prototype made of the supersonic pen yet? No, but no. Um, I, okay. um, I'll show you, I'll show you the, the simulation after, after this. Okay. I'll show you some videos of cool. how it works. And when so you the, see pen, how it works, the, the pen that you may or may not have shown us in the green room before the sto mm -hmm. show started, that's not it then? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I mean, I would think that if you made the supersonic pen, right... I would I would think that making it would be dangerous, right? And then getting the prototype in your hand and then playing around with it could be dangerous, right? Yeah. Right. So that's where we prototype and we figure out, right, how can we make it safer? 
and there mm-hmm. always there's always a way to make it safer. So mm-hmm. I could make it a little bit of a. So when when you pull the, the plunger all the way up, if I leave a, a little bit of space, so there's some air left, or if I put a dampener at the top, or if I put a dampener in the actuator, I can minimize or prevent this from ever happening. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. So, I wish I knew more about physics because this is an interesting concept. I just, I'm intrigued by the concept that there's a vacuum filler pen that vacuums so fucking fast that it could actually kill someone. I I don't know enough about physics, but I'm just, I don't even know how you would take something like that and even make it safe other than what you just said right now. But if you did make a vacuum filler that moves at such supersonic speeds, and it could kill somebody. I want that one. <laughs> I want the one that's potentially lethal. <laughs> right. I want the one that, like, I want to know that the pen is mightier than the sword. Right? <laughs> yeah. You just have to sign this disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> right. I'll sign it. Send it to me. Shit, man. I'll sign it. But I want it's the like deadliest one, those one James possible. James Bond things where you could just give it yeah. to somebody that you want. It's like your ev- the evil, you know, nemesis and be like, yeah, listen, I just want to, I just want to level with you right now. We're friends now. Here's a gift on my behalf. This is right. awesome vacuum filling pen, and they don't know. They're like, oh, well, it, what, it, could this be a trap? And it's like, well, it looks fine, and then they go to fill it, and it's just like, poof. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the best the way of, of explaining it, right? So, if you ever have, have you got any like big sixty mil syringes for cleaning out your pens? Uh, I think I have one r- right over here. Actually, I don't know where it went. I have one. All right, take your, take your take your needle off. Uh, untwist the the lure. All right. Now hold the top. Right now, push it down. Push it all the way down. I'll push it down. All right now, hold it. Now hold your finger on the the top so no air can get in. No, the other end. So hold your yeah. Now pull it. Right, yeah. Now pull the full vacuum. He's run out of hands. All right, pull the full vacuum. Okay. Now let go. Let go. Really quick. Ow. Let go. Yeah, it did. Like right. that. It okay. Just shot, it just shoots. It shoots back up because it's pulling on the. Uh, yeah, it's pulling on the vacuum. Mm-hmm. Right, but this is obviously a very slow and does, dumbed down version of what you're talking about, right? Very, very. Yeah, same, same principle. So. It's the same principle. Gotcha. Imagine I could. I felt like that could be lethal. Hold on a second. Say, say that again. Imagine that's made of what? Imagine certain things have to be made of metal to handle certain forces. Mm. Boom. And that's the problem. I have to make sure that 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 won't go up that quick, because mm. in uh, standard rack pens, there's not enough tolerance to make that happen. There's it's 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 more to do with doing it at speed. With mine, you could do it really slowly. It's not going to change. But at a certain point, you let go. It'll break the, the vacuum and it'll shoot ink in. Mm. But if it doesn't do what it's meant to do at the right time, mm. it shoots up like the, the syringe there. Mm. So that's the issue. So you have to imagine, I don't even know how quick that goes. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's very, 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 very quick. But you're, there's friction the, the syringe has rubber that's causing friction on the inside of the, the housing. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's actually getting slowed down. My piston has a lot less friction. I see. A lot less. 
Right. So it can go a lot faster. Hmm. A lot faster. That's the problem. I see. When I well, show you, you'll see. I want to. I want to talk about this pen here. Do you recognize this thing? Macarta. Yeah. It's very nice. So the odd oink had sent this to me. When he sent it to me, he sent it to me with several nibs. First of all, I I love this pen. I have on it right now the standard non-flexible nib that has a cheapy plastic feed and the clear housing that fits into the section. I want to talk about this pen starting with the grip section. The grip section is metal, and I know that pisses a lot of people off, but this one is different because you can't see it on screen, and maybe it's because I'm older and my eyesight is bad, but there's there's rings on this on this section. So when I grip the section, where the pen may rotate in my finger, my fingers can't slide forward or back, right? And those those rings are so fine, you can't even see it. I At least I can't, okay? Then I wanna talk about, we have the barrel unscrews at the threads. We have an O-ring. It's a converter or a cartridge filler. Now I'm saving, I love this too. The, the threads on the thread assembly of the barrel meet threads on the thread assembly of the cap, and it's metal on metal, so I'm not worried about the material getting worn away. Speaking of material, this is something else I've never seen before. This material almost feels like a Lamy 2000 type material, but it's not. This material, as Tom explained it to me, is more like a fabric. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 Can you can you talk about what this fabric or what this material is? Yeah, it's just red canvas or red linen, as you might call it, mm -hmm. and uh, Bakelite resin. And that's it. You combine the two, and uh, they become uh, what we call a composite. And it's uh, it's probably one of the earliest composites, um, well, one of the earliest modern composites um, that was invented. Mm. Uh, it's like this is like the first carbon fiber. If you think of carbon mm. fiber, like carbon right. is like carbon fiber. It's similar to carbon fiber. I see. In now, concept, yeah. Tom had also sent me a flex nib, mm. right? That has a what, what looks like a three D printed feed. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a three D printed feed. And what material is the three D printed feed made of? Uh, PA12. Uh, PA12. Nylon. It's nylon. Nylon. Yeah. Okay. So Tom has his flex nib. Now, just before I go into this, I love the way this pen writes with the standard non-flex nib. What kind of nib is this? Is this an in-house made nib or is it a Yovo nib? It looks like a Yovo nib, but I have a feeling that it's not. I wouldn't call it in-house. So basically my supplier, and uh -huh. he has the ability to make his nibs in-house to my specifications. Uh, okay. But the nib that, I, I'm not sure which nib you have, I need to see it up close. But also I have Canwrite that make nibs for me too. So I'm moving away from Canwrite um, mm -hmm. at a certain point um, to a different uh, supplier. Mm -hmm. And that supplier, well, I guess I will be my own supplier because I'm going to be making my own in-house nib. I see. Um, I'm assuming that the flex nib is the Canwrite nib? Yeah, that, that's the Canwrite nib, yeah. Okay. And it has this... Can you explain what the plastic is that you 3D print the feed with? Uh, so PA12, uh, polyamide, it's, it's basically a well-known polymer. 
nylon. Mm-hmm. There's a few different varieties, but certain varieties are stronger than others. And mm-hmm. that one can be 3D printed. And it's basically, uh, imagine powdered uh, plastic. And if you shoot a laser at it in uh, certain levels, it will solidify it in levels and then build it up, build it up, build it up. Mm-hmm. That is how that's 3D printed. Now it's, it's it's a bit uh, it's a bit finicky. I'm still trying to figure it out. Still, I'm, I've been working on feeds for you know two years. Uh, mm. So I've been working on feeds and nibs for two years. I've been trying to figure this out, you know, uh, and I've messed up so many times. But yeah, uh, but I'm working on I'm working on something big. So Tom was telling me with the pen that he just held up right now, that's the vacuum filler, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's having a lot of success with the Flex Nib, right? Mm-hmm. As you can see. That's what I was just writing. Whereas, yeah. whereas with the Flex Nib that I have, I'm having nominal success. Yes. Okay. So like you said, it could be a little finicky. I appreciate you admitting that. If if I may make a make a, an observation... Yeah. Just in general, I feel like flex nibs function better in a piston filling mechanism or a vacuum filling mechanism where the pen is the ink body versus a cartridge converter. Yeah. And the reason I feel that way is because of this. If you look at the nib unit housing and where the nib unit housing ends is usually flush with where the feed Tube. I don't know what to call this little tube here that sticks into the ink. The feed post, I usually The feed post. Yeah. It always ends flush. The nipple. That's what we call the, it. Nipple. The, nip, the nipple. The nipple. The nipple. I feel like if the nipple were longer and went further out and didn't end flush with the housing, it would be able to draw more ink faster. Yeah. What would you say so, about that? Uh, I did that and they kept breaking. Oh. Because the longer you make something and long and thin, can break so I made it a little bit shorter I made it from something a little stronger and more flexible mm-hmm. um, but I'm still not I haven't perfected it um, I'm, I'm working on um, I'm always going to keep working on it I'm going to try mm-hmm. try figure it out but uh, I, you know I have I have something else you know I have I have something else figured out and uh, there's uh, there's other materials that we haven't seen or used in feeds that could be mm-hmm. much better Mm-hmm. I always say that the feed is the least sexiest, but the most important part of a fountain pen because sure. of the ink delivery mechanism. But yet it gets absolutely no love when it comes to what really enthralls people about the fountain pen, which is, of course, the metal decorated nib, which is usually made out of a precious metal, which has yeah. decoration on it and and it, it attracts people for its glamorous nature. But yet the feed is like one of, especially when it comes to anything that has high ink demand, like flex nibs or stub nibs. It's so, it's such an important piece to the overall performance of the pen, but just, it gets no love whatsoever. Right. I think it's, I think it's one of the most crucial things. Like I think that the modern fountain pen industry has gotten so used to using cheapy plastic feeds that, And the whole art of how to make a feed to make a flex nib, because I think to, to make a flex nib function is kind of lost since the vintage times. I think that the secret and the code to making a nib, the nib itself flex, I think that's been cracked. I think everybody knows how to do that who makes pens. I think the problem is how to provide it a feed that will support it. 
Yeah. I think there are very few companies that were able to actually crack that code. I think one of them being Scribo, the other one being Mont Blanc, because I have both the Scribo feel and the Mont Blanc calligraphy nib, and those things are the best flex writers that I have yeah. that I can buy that's not like, hey, let me go to Linda Kennedy and have her make a special nib unit for me. You know, like other than that, like just yeah. stock stuff. It, it's yeah, it's quite. It's a uh, so we're talking about um, with feeds. It, we're talking about microfluidics and how we get liquid to flow in the direction and how we make sure it flows. And it's really, really complex. Um, sometimes I don't understand it all. I I do get help. So I I ask people that are experts in. Mm. Um, once again, this, this comes down to polymer science mm. and I might need it to do something or I might need it not to do something. Mm. Uh, and then I will go find the person that is the expert in that field and I will ask them and I will try see if my solution works and I keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that. Um, it, it's, and when you said about nibs, you know that, that is the most important part of a pen. But I still feel that, yeah, we're... We're, we're kind of stuck on this one idea mm. like it has to look a certain way mm. or it has to be made a certain way so there's a few people that make nibs now different ways and that's that's what we should be seeing mm. machine nibs you know there's different ways to make nibs mm. you know uh, how Schaefer used to make their nibs and they used to you know stamp it out flat roll it around solder it screw it on uh, like that's completely different there's there's machined uh, nibs. There's there's other ways to make nibs that we just haven't figured out. So at the moment we're 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 stuck on the whole. We have to stamp it out and form it because mm-hmm. that's the easiest way to do it. But there mm-hmm. is other ways. There is another way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be machined. It doesn't have to be stamped. There is another way. And I have been working on that for quite some time. It's not machined at all, at all, at all. It's completely different. Yeah, you just, I can tell you this afterwards. I will mm-hmm. show you and explain everything. But there is another way to do it. Okay. And there's another way to do feeds. Feeds, you talked about flex, flex nibs and how to make them, how to make them work. Um, and when a flex nib doesn't work is when um, you break the capillary, when the, it can't keep going. What if the feed moved with the metal? Mm-hmm. It never, it'd never break its uh, connection, and the capillary action would still go. So we have to think about that. And there's, there's people that have been working on some. There's this guy on uh, Reddit, and he started making these feeds. The uh, Arrowhead uh, Flex. Oh god, yeah, Arrow. Yeah, yeah he made these wild stuff. So I've been talking yeah. to him. So he was like making these real crazy flexible feeds, and he was like doing some crazy stuff. And I was like, hey, guy, like, hey, I need to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Here's 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 cool. how. So I've I've been doing it for the last year. I've been figuring out if you have a permanent bend on the feed going upwards, but it's made from a material that's not strong enough to actually cause it to flex. Then at a certain so when you do flex your nib, it will move with it. Then you have the best flex in theory. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so his concept, I was like, yeah, hey, I show you. This is mm-hmm. this is it. Don't use a rubber erasers. You use this material here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's um, you know it's 
polyurethane. You know, you can make polyurethane. Uh, you can machine it. You can injection mold it. You can injection mold it and then heat it with a permanent little bend. And it's always going to have that little bend, but it's not enough force to cause the nib to move. Mm-hmm. But it will move when it needs to move. And that's feed innovation. It's not, I wouldn't call it innovation. It's just a different way of doing it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, an improvement. My, and yeah, and, and any, any of these things, anytime that you'll actually have something that's in the works and you can share it, then it'll be on your, your Ben Walsh uh, Instagram so that people yeah, yeah. can check it out. So, yeah. And then there's well, like, there's so many innovations for so many other companies that I'm involved with and there's so much cool things happening that you just mm, don't know awesome. about yet. Yeah. What I'm doing, I do a little bit for me, but I do more, a lot more for other people and it's really cool. And it's, that's where it's, it's going to get exciting. Mm. Well, we're definitely looking forward to seeing these things happening. How how long do you think it'll be before we can start seeing some of these innovations happen? Well, my nib innovation, um, we're at revision nine. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're at the stage where it is so technical that I had to like get help uh, from engineers from uh, Caltech. It's mm-hmm. it's it's like the company that's doing this they they said we we, we we need help too so we need outside help just to make mm. this work it, it can work it's possible that's the thing it's possible to do but just takes a lot of intelligence and a lot of really smart people and i'm not very smart i know a lot of smart people so i'm getting their help but the idea the concept i've had for a while mm. um and i've concepted this a long time ago and came up with uh, ideas shared these ideas with people and they said no can't be done nope. Mm, I nope. See. Nope. so I went to other NIP uh, experts and NIP companies to get help two years ago and they basically said nah, can't be done mm. nope. uh, and then I, I finally cracked it uh, a year ago and I started the process and um, we're nearly there, nearly there. We're at, we're, we're prototyping. I'm well, Ben Walsh, we're, we're definitely excited to see it. We're looking forward to that. It's about that time we got to start wrapping this up. But before we wrap this up, can you just go ahead and let all the listeners and viewers know where they can get you, where they can, you know, plug, shameless plug time, plug your business, plug yourself, whatever you got. Let's hear it. So if you want to see all the stuff that I'm working on, I normally share it on my Ben Walsh Design Instagram. If you want to see any new products, if they're coming out, um, Ben Walsh Design. I do have the Gravitas page. It's just a public business page, just the odd time I show you know, products. It's not a customer service page. But I do have a customer service email, uh, customer service at gravitaspens.com. And I also have a website. Uh, gravitaspens.com if you want to see my pens um, and if you ever need to get in touch with me just go through the customer service email it'll be me or somebody else that works for me that will get back to you um, usually I'll try to reply to you on Instagram but it might take me a week <laughs> just so you know 
There's a lot of okay. messages. All right. Well, Ben Walsh, thank you for being here. Ben Walsh of Gravitas Pens, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. Thanks, I ben. think we had a great time. Yeah, time. I said. I said great time. We had a great yeah. time too. Yeah. We had a great thank, time. Thank you. Thank you for having yeah. me, guys. I really oh. appreciate this. No, we we really enjoy it, and we love having you on. We hope to have you on again in the future, just for an update as to all this stuff. And to everybody listening, thanks again for listening. I love you guys. Be well. Be safe. Stay engaged.